Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We worked our way through the end of chapter 5 last week. Not easy to teach on some of these things, not in this day and age. But we realize when we struggle with seeing things God's way, a lot of us realize that this is the effect the world has had on us. Remember the verse in the Bible in 1 John where the Bible says, His commandments are not grievous. I read a a very well-known writer, very good man, and he was saying that when you are troubled with what God says, or what God says bothers you, it simply shows you how much effect the world has had on you that you don't want to let go of. And that's true. Jesus came at a time when Israel was occupied by a Roman army, and they were harsh with the Jewish people. They didn't treat them well. They made them do this, they made them do that, and they grumbled about that, and they wanted to fight back and and talk ugly about that, as most any red-blooded American or anybody else would. Nobody likes to be ruled over and treated harshly and abused by other people. Jesus came to his people in a time like that and declared the way his people in his kingdom, when he reigns, the people who will reign with him will live like this. And a lot of people, well, I don't know, and people today say this. You'd be surprised how many people in commentaries or people would say, you know, I don't know that anybody can live by the Sermon on the Mount. Like at the end of chapter 5, verse 48, it says, Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And obviously, when we look at the word perfect as it as we have grown up understanding it, it's flawless without any need for anything else. It's just, I mean, you're perfect, can't sin or anything. And we recoil at things like that, and we begin to change what the Bible says to fit our own understanding, our own experience. And we say, well, that's not possible. Nobody can live like that. And so we dismiss ourselves from having to believe the way Jesus said it, that we really can't do that. Last week we said, for example, when Jesus reached verse 43 in chapter 5, he said, referring them back to the way they had been taught out of the Old Testament, he said, now, you have heard it's been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that God gave the Israelites the right to exact revenge on somebody that mistreated them. You weren't allowed to do that. And if somebody hurt you, you got to hurt them back. And if somebody, uh, if somebody's animal hurt you and you didn't let it be known you got a bad animal, then there was a law about that. It was very exact. Eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. And so he comes along and he says, of course, the, the Romans and the system they were in uh, made them as, as Jewish people do things that they didn't want to do. Jesus said, now, if they compel you to go a mile, go with them too. If they take your coat, give them your cloak also. Well, this is so unheard of. I mean, that's just caving into the pressure and taking the abuse and not doing anything about it. That's the way we think about it. He said, when concerning your eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth or getting even with somebody or taking somebody to court and then doing them in and getting all you can out of them, he said, but I say to you, He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who mistreat you and bless them. 
Pray for them who which despitefully use you and persecute you. Well, this was a turnoff to a whole lot of people. I think it would be today. If people really believed that what Jesus was saying was, how, was what he required of his people, period. If he requires that of us, and there's no exceptions, I think a lot of people just get turned off by that because we've been trained another way in this world. Again, the world has so affected us that we have a hard time giving in to a higher principle of life. And there's no higher principle than the kingdom than the kingdom of God. And if you want to live in that kingdom, you're going to have to make your mind up that you've got to live his way. Christianity, and I've said this often, but Christianity, if it's anything at all, it is living on God's terms. As much as you don't want to, as much as that may repulse you to think that this is the right way and we have to do this, it's what God requires of us. There is no other way. And if, they, if anybody speaks not according to this word, it's because what? They have no light. So we're held to quite a, quite a standard in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not accepted by all of Christendom. We like to refer to it, but not every Christian really wants to live this way. But again, he said that we, we do this so that in verse 45, that we may be children, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And he says, if you just love people that love you back, you haven't done anything different at all. I mean, even the, the world, the wicked do that. You're to do it my way. Be therefore perfect. You look at the way God is. God is perfect in every aspect. You can't be God unless you want to be a Mormon. But you cannot be God. But as God's people, he can transform you into, into a lifestyle that is after him in the measure of the stature of the very fullness of Christ. That's what we aspire to. We should desire to love like God loves. God causes rain to fall on people who don't deserve it. We don't need it, but on the just and on the unjust. God is good to his creation. His creation isn't good to him. But he wants you to be like that. He wants you to see things the way he says, live the way he says. And when it's over, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He, he wants you to have arrived at a, at, at a quality of life and a caliber of life by choice. Not by force, but by consent and choice that you are Christ-like living the way he wants you to live in all areas of your life. And I'll tell you what, you can't do that without God initiating this whole process. But God is the one who does it because he wants to righteously judge you as well as righteously judge the unrighteous. If you live the way the world does and the world's condemned, do you think you're not going to be condemned with them? Do you think maybe going to church and raising your hands makes a difference? It's not in what you thought you were going to be or wanted to be. It's the way you are. It's the way you live. We're viewed from God's side by the choices that we make, the decisions that we make. We've been given several thousand promises here and other statements about loving your brother as yourself and loving your enemies and so forth and not exacting revenge, not murdering people. And just a lot of people seem to ignore that. But I pray that all of us will want to do this the way God says it so that when Jesus is done, 
we can stand before a righteous God and have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We were faithful because when we had to, he chastised us. He made a way for us. He ordered our steps. He guided us and protected us. He preserved us. And then he rewards us. What a wonderful God we serve. Amen. Now, chapter 6 tonight, have you found it yet? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins talking about three particular things in this chapter 6, about alms, giving of alms, prayer, and fasting. And then he ends with our some most popular scriptures that we know of in Matthew 6, you know, take no thought five times. But in the first verse, the first verse in probably all the commentaries that, uh, that I researched and saw, the word for alms should be the word righteous. It's not the same Greek word, but it should be the word righteousness. In other words, your right deeds, the right things that God gives you to do are to be done in such a way that you do not call attention to how right you are. You can't hide your righteousness. You can't hide your life. Your life is to shine anyway. You can't hide the good things that you do because sometimes it's just they're done and, and they're seen. And, you, and your light does shine. So people do know you're different. They do know you live different. They do know you make different decisions than they probably would because something has influenced you to do that. And if you read it that way, it would say it like, Take heed that you do not your righteousness before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Then he begins talking about these other, these other things, things that he wants, wants us to know. Now, let me just say a couple more things about verse 1. The phrase, to be seen, do you see that? To be seen. Do not your alms or do not your righteousness, do not your Christian life, do not express yourself so that others can see you and go, wow, or admire you and look up to you as some great one. That's what this word hypocrite that's used several times in here, that's what it refers to. It's people who are really not sincere, but they want you to think that they're sincere. They want you to admire them because of the, the way they conduct their Christian life, I guess, or they conduct their affairs. They want you to see them giving. They want you to notice when, they, when they're fasting. They want you to note how they pray and talk about how wonderful they are spiritually. All of that kind of glory goes to God. When you live in such a way that people notice you and admire you and exalt you or praise you, that's the reward. There's none in heaven. That's only for this life. You got it now, and there's no more. You got your name on the roll. You got your name on the seat. You were noticed, your pictures, whatever, and that's all you get. That's all you get. Actually, this phrase to be seen comes from our word from which we get theater or theatrical or theatrics. It's a show. It's a show in the flesh. Robert's Word Pictures calls it a spectacular performance. Now, if I say that there are a lot of Christians who, who live to be seen, but they're not sincere, you'd probably know some. I mean, I think we've all known some. We probably have done it ourselves. When we get to the part about prayer, I've had some personal experiences in my life when before a large audience I was asked to pray. And I knew that you wouldn't just go up there and before 
what I would call a large a thousand people and just say, thank you, Lord, for our meeting tonight. I ask you to bless us in Jesus' name and sit down because people would go, huh? Is that the best you can do? Because people want a performance. They really do. They want something. They go, wasn't that a wonderful prayer? Wow. It's kind of more for a show than it is for the true invoking of God's blessing upon something or in the presence of something. But that's the way we've been taught. People admire whoever's in front leading as is to perform. He's to perform in such a way that people take note of how good and how, how smart and whatever he is, because that's what he's trying to do. I'm trying not to talk about other religions or other religious practices. I make no apology for knowing what I know. And I know I've, people have questioned my reference to other churches and practices in other churches. And, and I gently said this not long ago. I have been in more churches, spoken more churches, and everybody in our church put together. For some odd 20 or 30 years, I traveled, I don't know how many thousands of miles, all over this country, all over the globe, from Australia to India to Europe. And see, I'm trying to impress you now. But I've been in a lot of these places, spoken to a lot of different people of different cultures, creeds, and so forth. I've seen how a lot of people are trying to conduct their church. Minister once told me he wanted to be rich. See, I think of all that when I'm reading the Scripture, when I'm preaching, and, and these things are brought to my mind. I'm not saying that all churches are bad. I think there's probably... Truth be known, there are Baptist churches that would make us look like we're, we're kindergarten or Methodist churches or whatever. Somewhere in this world, there are congregations with a name that are probably as dedicated and, and deep in the Lord that we don't even know about. And we'd, we'd be ashamed if we had to be around them much. But I don't know them. I don't know that. All I know is what I know and where I've been and what I have seen and what I have heard. And I have... In my heart, in response to these questions or these statements, I have in my heart a desire to keep you from being snared by the stuff that I'm seeing. Because there really are seducing spirits and doctrines that are not of God. Practices of churches and people, how they live, the choices they are taught to make that God will not and does not honor, but it seems like He will. There is a way that seems right. And the Bible tells us as a church, it's just a simple congregation out here in this concrete building on this end of town in a muddy parking lot. He tells us to strive to enter in at the narrow gate. Not to make a show in the flesh, I don't, know, I don't think we could here. I don't think we could do enough to impress anybody. But that's not why we're here. That's not what this is all about. We're here to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Or seeking the kingdom that God is bringing and the right ways that God requires of us. That's what we should seek. You'll find it in Christ. And if you live according to what he tells us, it'll be, the, again, the measure, the stature, the fullness. Well, I think we should drill that. I think that is worthy. That's just a high calling. And I think 
I think it should be, at least from ministerially speaking, I think that should be rammed home every week in some form or the other so that we get it. So we come to the place where we are inspired, not by the preacher, but by that deeper work that's taking place in us to live on a level, whether anybody else does or not, that's higher than just what everybody does. To be rejected in some cases, Jesus said it's a, it's a testimony that, that you're doing right. When you're living a righteous life and you're hated for it, it's a testimony against other people, but it shows God's approval of your life. It doesn't seem to make sense. I mean, you're being hammered and God's saying that's good. Because, I mean, you're taking it. You could quit. You could get out of this. You're being tested and you're not willing to give up your faith or your beliefs. Or people walk out and the church begins to dwindle. You don't change your doctrine so they'll come back. Because if you do that, then you have to keep giving them everything they want. And then it's all about you and not about God. So you have to preach the word in season or out of season. So I make no apologies myself. I just want to make this statement. I make no apologies for believing what I believe. I make no apologies for wanting you to believe it. Because I have an experience in my life, my own personal testimony... I can look back and see how that for 43 years in, in my life, God has blessed me in what I have done. I want you to be blessed like that. I don't want you to be a Hamilton because one, trust me, one of me is enough forever. But I, I want not to people to emulate a person, but is our call is to point you to Jesus. So I want you to emulate him and follow him because that's what God honors. These are people that are going to be blessed. There's a reason that God in the Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat, when he came on his throne, that he, he began reading the law. And as he read to, about David, the Bible says he began to live according to the first ways of his father David before he did other things. His heart was right before God, and Jehoshaphat began to do that. And he had his princes and his teachers... Teach that same thing to his people because as Jehoshaphat was blessed, he wanted his people blessed. So they just had continuous Bible studies around Israel. And the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 20, it says, And the fear of the Lord came on all the nations round about Israel or Judah, and no man durst make war with them. But Israel didn't look bad. Nobody was saying, Well, I'm afraid of them Jews. It was just God caused. See, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, if I told you what we're doing here tonight is trying to find the good way of God and have a heart to receive it, because that's what God will honor in your life to make a difference with you. Amen. So, again, in chapter 1 there, he said... Your righteousness, your righteous ways that you're learning are not to become a spectacle causing other people to note how wonderfully great you are. What would we do without you and all of that? But you are to relate to God humbly. You are to acknowledge God as your source, as your God, and trust Him and let Him bring all these things to pass and not to make a show in the flesh. Do you remember Luke chapter 18 about the publican and the Pharisee? 
These two men went up in the temple to pray, one a publican, which was me, and the other was a Pharisee, which was not you. And as they went up to pray, the Pharisee stood thus, and he prayed with himself, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men. I fast, I tithe, pray. Jesus said in Matthew 23, they love to pray on the street corners, these eloquent prayers, and people would just stand by and listen to them pray and go, wow. But they did their prayer for a pretense. It was a show in the flesh. They were trying to get the acclaim of the people so they would be looked up to. And Wow. And when they gave their money in the temple, you know, they would make sure that everybody saw how much they gave. And then people would say, wow, what a generous man he is. The only way they knew he was generous is because he made sure they saw. Or when he was fasting, he would make sure somehow or the other that, oh, God, thank you, Lord. I'm so hungry. I mean, uh, praise the Lord. And people knew they fasted and prayed, and they wanted people to know that. It's pretty obvious today that there are people who want their Christian good works or their righteous deeds to be known, to not go unnoticed. I mean, even in giving alms, they want people to know that it was them that gave the money. It's hard just to put a large amount of money in a box with no name on it and then walk away and let it be between you and God. It's just hard to do that for some people because they would like to have a little recognition. And yet God says the recognition will come on the other side. Your reward will be in heaven. But if you do it so that everybody rewards you now, then that's all you get. You forget about getting to heaven and having all these other things going on. But Jesus said about the Pharisee and the publican after he got to telling the story, he said, everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And everyone who is abased, God himself will exalt. So the Christian is not forbidden to practice his righteousness or his righteous acts and deeds uh, before men, but he is not to do them as an object that others see and note and praise him for. Sometimes you can't help. It's just going to be known, but that's not why you do it. Sometimes a man who wanted to give cash couldn't, and he has to write a check. That is a pretty big check. He didn't want it to be like that, but he, he had to give it that night, and he couldn't wait till tomorrow. So, I mean, his heart's right. His heart's right. It's when, you know, they pass the offering container by, and you make sure everybody noticed that you're going, and there's a 50 in there with all those ones behind it. And so you, and wow. Jesus said, that's your reward. That, wow, is only that brief moment in this life where you were noticed, that's all you get. That giving didn't do you a nickel's worth of good beyond that one meeting. Not even a nickel's worth in eternity. This is the kind of way that God wants us to live. We're not here to exalt ourselves. We're here to follow Jesus. We're here to follow Him and do it what He wants. Now, let's take almsgiving. Alms. How many of you know that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisee, you shall in no wise enter, uh, Matthew 5, 20, that you will in no wise enter heaven. Did y'all remember that? Except. So your right ways has got to be better than their right ways because they did their right ways so you would notice them. You don't. I mean, you leave the money at the door and knock on the door and take off running so nobody knows who left the money, the groceries, or whatever you do, if you can. And that way... 
you get rewarded by the Lord. Because somebody has to say, praise the Lord. Or praise brother somebody or sister so-and-so. Verse 2 of chapter 6. Alms. What is alms? Well, it's very simple. Alms is giving to the needy, the poor. It's showing mercy. It's being merciful with giving to those who have a need and really can't help themselves. I'd like to think that we give alms in response to God. Remember 1 John 3, 17, Whoso hath this world's good and seeth a brother in need, then he goes on to say, If he shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how does the love of God dwell in that man? So giving, especially to help the poor, is one of those righteous acts that all Christians must be involved in. God compels us to honor the poor and, and to regard the poor and, and to help the poor and bring relief to them. When you sent your money to Guatemala here a little while back, the whole purpose of the money you gave, and you gave quite a bit, and the purpose of the money that you gave was to enable, first of all, the men whom, who went to, to have their needs met preaching the gospel and to help those down there make life a little better for some of them. That's a good thing. You can't go, and I'm not sure I want to go because this is where I am. I like it right here. But there's people that God gives a heart to do that, and they go. They don't have to have us to back them. If they believe God sent them, they just go. But we choose for whoever wants to. We just we put a bucket back there. It's got a little narrow slot in it. And when you walk up there, you cover the bucket you know, with your clothes and you drop whatever you put in there and nobody knows who put anything in it. So that's a form of giving to people that cannot reward you. They can't send you anything back. It's, as it's more blessed to give than to receive, when you give to the poor, you really are giving to people who can never repay you. But God says if you give to the poor, He says you lend to the Lord and the Lord will repay you. Go back to the Psalms. And then we'll go to Proverbs. Psalms 112. Psalms 112 and verse 2. Well, I might as well read the first verse. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord. That's what promotes everything else in this chapter is he fears, honors, esteems, and regards highly, stands in awe of God. That's the focus of his life. That's his, that is his life. And he fears him. Blessed is a man that fears the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. And then notice all these promises. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. The generation of the, and here's our word for righteousness, the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Verse 3 says, Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. His right ways will go with him into eternity. Your works will follow you. Verse 4, Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious, full of compassion, and righteous. Does your Bible say all of that? Wow, that's pretty good. In verse 9, he hath dispersed, 
He has given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. It's interesting that he puts in one verse of Scripture there a principle and a promise. The principle of, of a righteous life that, it, that gives to the poor. Because that means a righteous man. A man who is right with God notices the needs that others have. People don't have to be poor and down and out to be helped. Sometimes, you know, a person has some bills due, maybe has company coming or needing something going somewhere, and you're just inspired to, well, as we often do here, put a little envelope in an offering box with their name on it. I tell people all the time, you got some mail, and they know where it is. Go back there and get your mail. And that's, that's just the way people give. They want somebody to have life a little easier because they know they're making it, but they're not, you know, they're struggling here, struggling there. And sometimes a little bonus, a little extra sort of lightens up the day. Well, the Bible says an upright man will do things like that. And see, he can because God has rewarded him. That's an open door to blessing. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And if a man is a giver and a sower of his money, not to get it back, but just to make people have it a little easier. Be merciful towards people. Mercy is the idea of relief. Relieving the suffering or the poor or the hurting. And you can do that. And the reason you can do that is because wealth and riches, didn't we read that earlier in verse 3? Didn't he say wealth and riches are in his house? I wonder where. I wonder how he got it. Where did his wealth and riches come from? It came from God. It's God who maketh rich. And one of the reasons God responds to people is because they're willing to respond to needs. God shows you people that has needs and you give you a chance to help them. Look in Psalm 41. Go back to Psalms 41. Talk about promises for giving. Giving to the poor and helping Blessed is he that considereth the poor. Verse 1. Now, in what way does Scripture say God will bless the man or the woman who considers the poor? Those that have needs. Notice. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. We will have our troubles, but you will be delivered. Verse 2. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. You got to like that. And he shall be blessed upon the earth. People think you're lucky. And you will not deliver him into the will of his enemies, because there are people who are your enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. That's the word for sickness. The Lord will strengthen him on the bed of sickness. Thou will make all his bed in his sickness. Now that's a promise. Those two or three verses there are promises that pertain for one reason. You consider the poor. Not just think about them, but do what's in your power to do. You can't deliver them from everything, but you help. You help the poor. And the Bible said God will do all of these things. I think that's a marvelous section of scripture right there for healing to me it's a guarantee that this is what God will do if you will consider the poor 
Go to Proverbs, the next book over, Proverbs 19. And look at verse 17. I quoted this to you a while ago, but here it is. He that hath pity, that's another way of saying he who is merciful, kind and compassionate toward the poor, lendeth to the Lord. And that which he hath given, he will repay again. Who's going to do the repaying? God. Is it not true that God has access, and the scripture says he has access to the storehouses of heaven? Isn't there something in the Bible about that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing? Not because in that verse about the poor, that had to do with something else. But the point is, God can do this. God can take the poorest soul in this room and make them well-to-do. I think he would teach him well first so that he could manage himself better. A lot of people can't manage money at all. I mean, they just don't seem to be able to manage themselves. They can't put everything in perspective. But he'll bless you anyway. He will bless you. If, if you have pity upon the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and that which he hath given, he will repay him again. Look at chapter 28 and see if you like this one or see if this one would work concerning giving alms to the poor. Verse 27, Proverbs 28, 27. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. Maybe he has the money to give, but then if he gave or she gave, they wouldn't be able to buy that something they've been saving up to buy. They saved up money, now God wants them to give it away. God wouldn't do that, though, would he? Well, he might. He might. See, I don't know what God is going to do. I'm not God. I'm just down here trying to get to know him better. But he said, He that gives unto the poor shall not lack. Well, if you don't lack, then you have more than enough. Let me start over. There are three levels of life as far as finances go. There is poverty. That means you don't have enough. You got $10 in your pocket, you need $15 worth of groceries. And you can't afford it. Actually, you're broke. You're just barely getting by week after week, month after month, or maybe from year to year. There's nothing wrong with starting out in your life poor. God doesn't want you to stay there. You'll be tested there. It'll look like it's never going to change to see where your heart is. Are you trusting him in order to get rich? Or are you trusting him because it's the right way? Second level of life is sufficiency. You have enough. You have enough for yourself. You can pay your bills, none left over, but you, but you have enough. You're not broke, but you're not well-to-do either. And the third level is prosperity. That's more than enough. You got $30 in your pocket, and you're going to buy $20 worth of groceries. You still got some money. You have more than enough. There's nothing wrong with that. Is not God able to make all grace abound towards us that we always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work? Is God able to control the finances of this earth from heaven? 
God raises up kingdoms. He pulls kingdoms down. There's no righteous nation that exists on this earth. Every government of man is corrupt somewhere. And in the midst of all of this, God says, this is the way I want you to live. And you're going to get hammered for this. You might die for this. Was he saying in Revelation 12, love not your life? These are those who overcame the, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies, and they love not their lives unto the death. Jesus said in Revelation, you're going to have tribulation ten days, but be, be faithful. And you'll be received into the eternal habitations. What a deal. We are so attached to ourselves, and we're so full of ourselves, we just measure everything by what it's going to cost me. But when you give it to God, when your bank book and whatever you've got, or what, if somebody wants it and God really leans on you to give it, and your heart is right with the Lord, you'll give it. You don't think, oh, but I want it. I just, no, you just give it because it pleases God. That'll be a test in your life. And he said, if you give to the poor, you'll never lack. But if you hide your eyes, you won't do well. Let me show you how God feels about us when we give to help the poor. Turn to Acts, the book of Acts. Keep your finger in Matthew 6. Acts chapter 10. Remember the house of Cornelius? And in verse 2, Cornelius was a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. That's, he's a pretty good man. I'd say he was a good man. It doesn't say he's a Christian. He's about to be at the end of this chapter. But it said he was a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house and gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. This, there's a reason why God chose this man to pour his spirit out upon Gentiles. This was not Jewish. This was Gentile. Remember the story? The net came down. It was unclean. Peter said, oh, I can't go over there. And Jesus said, God said, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. And they were talking about Gentiles. Peter said, oh, what would my friends say if I went and spoke to them? But he went. And the man whose house he went to was the one who God used to pour his spirit out upon the Gentiles, which in turn came to us eventually. But he said, he gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Verse 4, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God, a, a remembrance. God remembers and take it as a pretty big deal you're giving to help the poor. A memorial. Look at verse 31. And he said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are in remembrance in the sight of God. Well, let me ask you this. If you were devout... If you were given to God or consecrated or committed to the Lord and His ways, we call it Christianity. Well, let's say you really are and you really are striving to live this way. And one of the things that God will test you in this way is giving to help others who are not able to help themselves. The world concentrates on helping everybody at this time of year to eat a turkey. But see, they're, they're hungry 364 days after this. 
We can't change the world out there, but we can sure take care of each other, which is what the early church did. And when we send people somewhere, we want to be able to support them. If we see somebody in the church have a need, we've had a jug back there and a lot of rent and a lot of bills have been paid out of your giving in that jug. Now we use that other box back there to to help people who, who need help. You don't know who they are, and you can't go to everybody and give them 4 or $5 here, but 4 or $5 from 20 or 30 people amounts to uh, somebody's rent. And in that way, we, we are doing things that are right and good things to do. And God remembers us and knows our heart and our motives for why we do this. It's a good thing. Amen. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. Back in the days when I was more diligent than I am, and I used to respond when people would send me something in the mail, and I still should. I really still should. I used to, in in writing a little brief thank you note, sometimes you write these notes, and you don't want people to think, well, you did it once. Uh, Would you keep it coming? Keep those cards and letters. Anyway, so you you write a thank you note back, because unthankfulness in the Bible is next to unholiness. And so I don't want to be unholy, and I certainly don't want to be unthankful, and I am thankful. Thank all of you. Being thankful, I used to write back a little note, thank you very much for your kindness and your offering, and may the Lord bless you. And then I would write Hebrews 6.10 out there, because Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. This is what you did that God remembers. So all of these things are good for us. So whenever we give to help the poor and whenever we do things that make life easier for other people, get somebody's bill paid or a little extra money for somebody, maybe take their family out somewhere. I don't know. Once you let go of the money, it's between the person you gave it to and, and them. What today motivates people to give to the poor? Would it be the... Uh, the picture of the missionary fund with all the little kids with dirty faces and dirty clothes standing outside of a mission station in another country, not America, Haiti or Africa or South America, wherever it might be, and, and it becomes an emotional thing? Can people give because, oh, how many times have people used orphan giving to get people to give money, which did not go to the orphans. It happens a lot. I remember there was one time my boys, Dave and Jim, when they were little, they had a piggy bank, and they had saved up enough money. The pig was about ready for harvest. And when we did finally break it one night, they counted it, and there was like uh, 15 to $16 and change there and other things, you know, and said, so, well, what are you boys going to, going to buy with all of this? And they wanted to support one of those children. And I thought, no, that's a noble idea. I said, oh, don't do that. Go spend it on something. I was testing them. Don't give your money away. Go spend it on yourself. Have a big time. They said, no, we want to give it to these little kids. Now, see, I think when God referenced us to become like little, little children, See, money doesn't control little children. They don't know the value of money at all. They, and uh, too many of them grow up without it either. But uh, <laughs> they don't know. 
So I said, all right, we're going to select one. And there was this one magazine that came in that they were looking at the picture every month, and they saw that, and they wanted to help this kid. You know, they don't have enough to eat, and we do. We'd like to buy them some food, all right? We'll do that. We did it for a couple of years. They did. I'd add whatever extra it took because I got in on the deal in order to support. Then I learned a few years, two or three years later in some of my travels and convention going and talking to this one and that one from here and from uh, there that uh, the whole lot of money came into this missionary group. Lots and lots. I mean, talking about umpteen numbers of dollars came in. And the guy said, have you considered what 500 radio stations cost these people a month to put on their program? I said, no. He said, well, being in the radio business, he's talking about how many umpteen thousands of dollars a month it took for this missionary group to be on their radio. And they're not on there free. So whatever support you give them, a good portion of it, maybe two-thirds of it, goes for their radio support. And then they got to pay salaries of people there. And then maybe 5% goes to the missionaries. Well, I quit giving. I think I did write to him and say, is this true? And I got some kind of a letter back, and I thought, that's it. But our heart's right. I mean, we've all been burned somewhere down the line. But when your heart's right for giving, and you give because you're grateful, or you give because you care, or you give because you have compassion, your motive is good. And there's going to be people trying to get money from you because Christians are, you know, as the world says, we're suckers for giving because we care. Who else cares like Christians? And so we do want to give. I guess we're easy to do that with, some of us. But do we give because we get a tax break? See the little note at the bottom of the, of the giving said, all of your giving is tax deductible. Well, would you add a little extra because you can deduct it from your taxes? If so, your giving is not so much to help them as so much to help yourself at tax time. I think any time your giving is based on being able to claim it on your income tax, well, you know, and we can't do that here. I know people do, but I mean, we're not a tax-exempt corporation. Praise God. Because the motive for tax-exempt corporations is getting deductions for your giving because people will give if they can deduct it. I know that not all givers will give if they can't get a deduction. I've told this story too many times. I hate to bore you with it again. The guy was going to write me a sizable donation, he called it, at a big convention in Indianapolis, Indiana, 1975, out in the lobby. I remember this. Brother Hamlin, what's the name of your group, of your organization? I thought, man, oh, man, I'm around all these big wigs and... Uh, they don't know how little I am. They don't know how simple I am. I said, uh, I mean, who you make? Yeah, just Tom Hamilton. No, 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 no. He said, I mean, what's your organization called? Tom Hamilton. I'll never forget this. He, like this, with his checkbook and his pen, he said, you don't have a tax number? I said, no. This hand shuts the book. You hear a little smack. And then a little click. That means it's done. And I told him, I said, no, I, you can't get anything. I said, send it to so-and-so because he's tax deductible. He said, you know, I think I will or something like that. Oh, that's good. And he walked off. You see, the motive is what God sees. Why you give, why you do anything. Our heart is exposed only to God. We can't see each other's heart, 
But God can. And He knows why we do things. And He knows, like, for example, giving. Are you giving to be recognized? Let's see how that works. All right, we got this great need. We got this great need. We're going to go and do this or that. And we got to have somebody. Who will give a thousand? Wait, the Lord just told me there's, there's five. No, 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 no. Nothing. No. Lord, how many? Ten people here tonight that are going to give a thousand dollars. And you know what? Ten people give a thousand dollars. How much is ten people giving a thousand dollars? Anybody know how much that is? That's ten grand. That's ten with a K on the end of it. Ten K. That's a lot of money. I don't. I don't know that that man was inspired to do that. I don't know that God needs that kind of money. The Bible does refer to money in the wrong way as unrighteous mammon. Luke nineteen talks about the unrighteous mammon. You can't serve money and God. It takes money to do the things that God wants you to do, but that's not why you're doing it. God is the one who causes the money to come in. We don't have to try to get it by sad stories and sob stories and folks, I'm here tonight, I tell you, I've never had the problem like I've got now. We're down in the dumps and I just got to have y'all got to give some money. I mean, I really need it. But we don't need to do that. We haven't done that in 30 years. Nobody's had to beg and cry for anything here for 30 years. We have, they say, well, we ain't got much. God meets us with what little we've got. We don't owe a million dollars. The city doesn't have to pay for this. I don't think they give a whole lot for this facility, but this is where we live. This is where we meet. It's fine. There's something better and it'll show up. But our motive has got to be, got to be in harmony with the Lord. But we don't give because we're going to be recognized for giving. How many people's motive for giving is because the offering container is being passed down the aisle and people are looking at you as you take your turn. Are you going to put your money in it? People give like that. Well, I don't want to give anything, but everybody's looking at me. I've got to put something in here. Of course, they reach in their wallet and by mistake grab a 20 and they meant to get a 1. And see that 20, but you better not put it back. If you put it back, folks say, he's putting his 20 back and getting a 1. Our hearts can be very corrupt, but very religious. Very religious and very busy with deeds and works to be seen of men and be admired. And, and, and you know, the bulletin, the, the little bulletin we used to do in the Christian church I was in, tells about all the things that we did, how much money we gave last week, what all we're going to do, where we're sending people, and all of our accomplishments. We led this many to the Lord last year. What's all of that about? Praise me and praise us. When you sidestep all of, all of that Seek no praise of your own, but just do it as unto the Lord for His glory and let Him reward you as a nobody reward you in heaven or reward you openly. How many of you know that if you get blessed really good, you can't really hide that either? I mean, you can keep wearing your old shoes and your old hat if you want to, but eventually they're going to see that what you're driving ain't old. Or where you're going and where you in the in your lifestyle has changed a bit because you've been relieved from all the the old ways. Sometimes people give because they sincerely want to help people. Their motive is whether you do or not, whether you think we should or not, I'm going to give 
I'm going to write this out and give it to somebody and help it, help them get through, get through life. You know, to help the widows and the fatherless in their affliction. Remember that word, affliction? That's what pure religion does. Sometimes a lady who is a widow has nobody. Has nobody to talk to. Nobody has very much time to be all that concerned about them. They just get by and do the best that they can. And that 20 or $40 that people give them, I've seen their eyes light up. I mean, they broke. They don't have any money. Living on Social Security and, and just a little money comes in, it makes life just a little easier. And they say, they say, praise the Lord. It's 2 Corinthians 9. I mean, you, would you turn over there for a moment? Just 2 Corinthians 9. They praise the Lord for His goodness and His kindness to them. 2 Corinthians 9, the whole, this whole chapter is about giving. In verse 6, he said, This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man as he purposeth in his heart. That's your motive. Every man give as you really feel led of God to give. If you don't feel led of God to give, don't. Don't. But he said, uh, let him give not grudgingly or of necessity. I've got to give. Everybody's watching. No. God loveth what? God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, he said, verse 5, in the context of giving, he said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed the rest. Psalm 112, uh, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. For verse 12, the administration of this service, for the administering of this, giving to help, relieve and, and so forth, not only supplies the want of the saints, notice, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings to God. Why are there many people saying, thank you, Lord? Because they don't think a man, it wasn't a man, that some, a man probably put it in the box or sent it, but they don't know who it is. They got nobody to praise. And so they praise the Lord. Many thanksgivings to God is, is a result of our giving. The money that comes in at the right time, at the right moment, the last hour. As one man sat down to eat at his orphanage with all those kids there and no food. In England, many years ago, they sat down to eat and the kids said, what are we going to eat? There was no food on the table. They were washed and cleaned up and ready to go. They said, the Lord will supply. And they prayed. And while he was praying for the food, the door knocks. And you know the rest of the story. A bakery, another place, had food left left over, didn't know what to do with it. Somebody said, well, they will take it there, and they brought more than enough food for them to have for their dinner. More than enough. Could God do that? He could. Years ago, when it was not even a possibility, the question came to my mind. Could God give me a new car instead of a better used one? Or is you, are new cars for the well-to-do and then you get them when they're done with them? I mean, what do you believe? A car can't make you spiritual. We all know that. I don't think they make them big enough to do that. 
If they could, we should all believe in one, maybe in the size of a bus and live in it. I can believe. If my heart is right, and I'm not trying to put on a show or impress people or, hey, look at me, what I got. If my heart is right, and I'm doing this as unto the Lord, everybody's going to know it, and you can't hide this. But I believe God can do this. And when he did, people did say, how'd you do that? <laughs> I didn't. I just took him at his word. He said, do this, and this will happen. As I was reflecting on this the other day about how in my life when the blessings started coming, I was reminded of some other things that I was doing with money that was coming in that was helping other people. And I'm sure one of the reasons is that if you're willing to give it away, God's willing to give it back. And I don't mean give to get. That won't work either. God knows your heart. But if you're willing to give, as God directs you, for the purpose of relieving the sufferings of others, less to do with than you or people who need help right now, God will bless you. You can't lose. He said you will never lack. And he remembers that. We read those two verses that God remembers and keeps all of this in mind. But go, to, go back to chapter 6 now. Chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. Let me get verse 2 again. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand doeth. Now, let me get to the legal part of this. There is no way possible that my left hand can play a game with my right hand. And that my right hand is not independent of my left hand. If my right hand is reaching in my pocket, my left hand knows it. But then again, it doesn't know it because my hands don't have a brain. My hands don't have a mind. My hands don't think. I mean, you say, you know, Jesus used the illustration. If, you're, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Well, you, can't, you can cut it off, but all my hands are or my eyes are, are an extension of my thoughts, of my, of, of my thinking. As a man thinketh, so he is. You think lust, you are lust. You use your hands in that, and your eyes. You look, well, you can pluck your eyes out, and you still have a sinful, a sinful attitude. You can't see where you're going anymore, but you've got a sinful attitude. You can't pluck your brain out, can you? Say No. Thank you. That's good. Amen. You can't just pluck your mind out. Your mind has to be renewed. My brain it sends signals to my hands. And, and they cooperate in everything that they do. Scratch my nose with my, my left hand. My brain says, scratch your nose. Okay, now we're right here. Up. No, just a little higher, right? My hand doesn't say, I don't like your nose. I don't like your nose. Doesn't do that. My hands just obey orders. And as of course the picture there is not the sermon, but the picture there is the body of Christ is supposed to be so in tune to the head that whatever the head wants, the body responds to it. And if you're a hand, you're, your whole purpose in life is to obey the head. And he'll reward you for that. Amen. He will reward you for that. But this is what the Lord is saying. And he says in verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, 
And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And I think it's obviously when you give, if it's possible, when you give to help people, do it in such a way that nobody knows what you gave. There's been times that people have given a lot of money in the offering in the form of cash. And I think, my man, how much money? But God knows who they are. I don't. And I'm glad I don't because I don't have anybody say, oh, brother, so thank you for you. I don't have to do that. See, how many of you know that God will do the rewarding? And the heavenly reward will be much better than the earthly recognition of your goodness. You get a lot better deal with God than you do with man. And besides, I think some people's giving is done in such a way that uh, you owe me. And I don't think we should ever be compelled to have to surrender our attitudes to each other so that we're serving man instead of God. If God told you to give and you gave, you've only done what you're supposed to. Like me, I've been a receiver my whole life. People have given to me all my saved life. I never asked for I never have asked for I've been a receiver. And what I do with giving is my business and not yours. But being a receiver, I've had people give to me all the time. But I have most people given to me have done it in a way that, that I, couldn't, I couldn't praise them. I have to praise God. The first time we were ever blessed in 1973, Bonnie said, you need to come home. You need to come home. I said, is everybody all right? Everybody's fine, but you need to come home. She didn't say it quite that dramatic. But she didn't say, Tom, uh, did you get a chance? You to go? No, she said, you need to come home. I got home and there was the envelope was open. There were 30 $100 bills spread out across the table. Now, we had never had that much money that belonged to us at any one time in our lives. Last year I taught school. I made $10,500. That was, that was pretty good money back then. There was 30 $100 bills spread across there. I don't know who it came from. Sometimes I well, wouldn't you like to know? I probably would, but then I'm glad I don't. Because then I don't have to keep thanking them every other week for what they did and then owing them something. The only thing I should owe you and you should owe me is what? To love one another. Not be obligated in the sense that I worship you. We're thankful to each other. Giving is a, is a key to blessing that I don't think a lot of people have ever realized. We don't have to, I don't have to teach on it here to get people to do it. I'm blessed and, and I, I'm thankful. But a lot of people's testimony, I hear more and more testimonies of people saying, you know, it really does work. The more I give, the more it seems like I have. And more work comes in and then I give again and then it helps somebody and more work comes in and I got more. What was that verse? Somebody help me with this verse in Deuteronomy 28. Bless the Lord, uh, uh, if a man will uh, do what God wants and obey his commandments and walk in all of his ways. And he said, all these uh, uh, blessings shall come upon you. Remember that? And overtake you. Now, that was God's idea, not the preacher's. It should be taught, and you should know it, and you should think about it. Because it says the reward for living the kind of life that God wants you to live is that God will bless you. 
Now, I was put in my place one time by a person who was going to a missionary field. And he said, that won't work. And he named another country. He said, this won't work in that country because they're poor. And I said, they are poor because they have worshipped idols. They're under a curse. They have nullified blessings from God because they have set him aside for another God. And why would God bless idol worshipers? He doesn't do that. They're under a curse. If you're going to go there, you get them out from under. You tell them the truth. And besides, the gospel was not written for the United States. It was written in the dark ages when people were destitute and dying and had the plague and were coming short and kids in this in Africa and all, and all the squalor and the stuff all over the world. This, this gospel works even though it doesn't look like it works for them. The problem is not with God. The problem is with man. He doesn't want to do it God's way. We go to missionary fields and all we do is take and give and give and give. And, and sometimes they're going to have to learn to give back. Not that we don't need it. Like Paul said, I speak not because I, I have a need, but I speak concerning the fruit that will abound to your account. And the opportunity that God gives us, and I think it's what we're talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount, the wonderful opportunity that confronts us here in America and in this church frequently and often is the opportunity to give to others who cannot hardly help themselves or they're in a tight spot. That's a good thing. And how you handle that and how you respond to that will be an indicator to God of what's in your heart and your motives. Giving is the doorway to blessing. It's the doorway to God's grace and God's favor. And it causes thanksgivings to come to God. And I can tell you, I can tell you as, as a Christian that God really does honor this. What, what I'm telling you, He really does. The more you give up your love for money, your lust for money, and your desire to have it by the, I could just win the lottery. The more you give up your lust for all of that, appreciate what you have and be willing to share what you have with other people, the more God will bless you so that you'll have more to share. Because He can do that. You'll be tested, but that's the way He does it. So, concerning alms to the poor, we didn't even get to prayer tonight. Give your alms so that nobody but God knows what you're doing. If you can't, if you can, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. And you give it that way. Sometimes you appreciate what somebody did for you. You just want to give them something. That's, that's not really alms. That's just thankful, thankfulness. But that's your, that's your choice that you can make. You can give alms. You can give it as unto the Lord. And know that God who who receive, who saw in secret, he shall reward you openly. Amen. Amen. I like the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. It's a lot easier to teach chapter 6 than it was chapter 5. That is a whole lot easier. But it's also practical works of righteousness. Next week, talk about prayer, praying. I mean, we're all familiar with that. But it's what a righteous man does. How much he does and how long or where and all, that's between you and God. But a righteous man prays. Amen.